Oh, 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 well, 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 welcome to another episode of the In Search SEO Podcast, where we hand out more SEO insights and a traffic hop hands out tickets at the end of the month. In this, our 16th episode, we talk to Stephen Alamar and Russell Jeffrey of Duda all about site speed and mobile UX, why site speed and mobile UX are more important than ever. Has AMP fitted out of relevancy? Was it really ever relevant? Where page speed sits on the SEO Totem Pole. I am your host, Morty Oberstein, and I am joined by the delightfully distinguished, the magnificently magnificent Kim Ragones. Thank you, Morty. You're welcome. <laughs> that was a little much. How are you? Good, good. Very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. By the way, don't forget, each and every week we release a new episode of the In Search SEO podcast. You can find it on the Rank Ranger blog. You can find it on Stitcher. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on SoundCloud, and you can find it on iTunes where you can subscribe so more seo insights than a traffic cop hands out tickets at the end of the month what in the world does that even mean what come on you know okay so a traffic cop at the end of the month you have to meet their ticket quota so they hand out more tickets towards the end of the month so we hand out more insights than that get it and uh, i get it but how how do you know that <laughs> we hand in a lot of seo insights i know because i i speak them no the other part about the cops <laughs> That have a ticket quota. Oh, well, because I'm a good cynic and I'm usually right about these things. Oh, so my, bro- okay, my brother was an auxiliary cop and he told me so. Okay, he's not exactly a reliable source of information, but I got I to gotta go with what I got. Why do we even talk about this? Because you asked me. So I am not responsible in any way for this tangent. You are. No, you are. You're <laughs> the one that used that convoluted metaphor to begin with. Oh, oof, those were fighting words, but fair point. Uh, should we move on? Yes, like five minutes ago. <laughs> okay. In that case, before we get into what the guy or some dude had to say, let's talk about what's hot in SEO. Red Hots, get your Red Hots here. A few weeks back, Cindy Crumb, the great Cindy Crumb, came on the show to talk about entity-first indexing, and in the process, we got into a whole thing on Fraggles. So since I've been anticipating her full analysis on Fraggles, um, and it's now here with perfect timing, by the way, Perfect timing. Um, so a few days before her article came out, another article, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Dinson Francis at chromestory.com pointed to that Chrome is going to be letting you link to, say, a specific part of your page, a certain sentence and so forth, which is pretty much a fraggle. Okay, so what's a fraggle? Okay, I know. You're looking at me. What's a fraggle? Oh, okay, so what's a fraggle? According to Cindy, a fraggle is that which lets you click a link and head to a specific part of the page from the search results. So think like a carousel of answers from within a form, like that shows up on the on, within a organic result, right? It jumps you to that answer. When you click on it, you go right to that answer on the page. You don't have to read through all the other answers first. You click on the answer within that little carousel and you go right to that page. All right, for this, Google, it seems, is indexing parts of a given page into the knowledge graph. So they can feature snippets of content and all sorts of SERP features and whatever, thus allowing Google to include more in the knowledge graph without indexing irrelevant information. So a quick point to order, by the way, you do not need a jump link for a Fraggle to work. Um, it functions quite similarly, but remember those AMP URLs with that feature snippet, or the ones that had you jump to the portion of the page where the content was within the snippet where it came from, right? You, you, you you saw a feature snippet, there was an AMP URL in the feature snippet, you clicked on the URL, and instead of going to the top of the page, you jumped to where that content from the feature snippet came from, and it was highlighted for you. Okay, Fraggle. Okay, Google created their own jump link, so to speak. Fraggle. This is very similar to a video feature snippet that jumps you to the middle of a video, no? 
yeah, that's 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 pretty much you know Fraggle, 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 Fraggle. So why is this a big deal? That's a good question. That's a fair question. So Cindy has a whole list of reasons why it's a big deal. I'll let, I'll let you all read that on your own. I'm not gonna summarize it here and now, just for the sake of time. But I, I will say like this: there are, there are way more reasons that I'm offering right now. Again, read that article from Cindy. But assuming this becomes widespread. I think how we think of the page or how users interact with the page itself or how we relate to the page from a convergent perspective, from a brand awareness perspective is going to change. Meaning with Fraggles, you don't need to sift through the entire page. So you most likely won't see or interact with content that comes before the content that you are being jumped to. So you miss all the CTAs, you miss any ads. Yeah, I, I, I think most importantly, users will miss all that buildup. So you write a whole article about whatever. Instead of seeing that, the usage gets jumped from the SERP right to a certain section of the page, and they miss your whole storytelling. Okay, all that story that became that came before that snippet of content that the user's being jumped to, they won't see. And to me, that's a huge deal. Okay, even if a user skims the headings, they skim the headings. They look at the headings, the headings. I talk too fast. I talk too fast. I know. I'm sorry. Even if a user okay, goes ahead and they skim headings, images, captions, all that sort of stuff, okay, that's far more engaging of an interaction than just being jumped to a snippet of content. It creates a stronger impression of who you are, who your brand is, and what you all do. Okay, That won't happen here. And I think it will change how we craft content and how we design a page. Of course, assuming that Fraggles take over the world. Okay, but, but oh, voice search. I want to point out. Okay, if Fraggles become this widespread thing, okay, if you, you if Google's able to index a snippet of content, it is possible that featured snippets are no longer king of voice search. That Google will use these Fraggles to answer voice search queries. Again, all this assumes that Fraggles become highly, highly prevalent, and we'll see that. As time goes on, by the way, I have to mention that we just released a study, not on Fraggles, but on featured snippet market share. Uh, we analyzed, you can find it on the Rank Ranger blog. I'm plugging away at this one. I know I hardly plug away at Rank Ranger, but I'm doing it right here because you should check out this study. It was featured on SE Roundtable. It was featured on Search Engine Land, and it shows you the percentage of URL market share within a given feature snippet. Of course, on average, just for example, when Google uses two URLs within a feature snippet over a 30-day period, which it tends to do, that was the first part of the study. You can, of course, see that as well, that there's two URLs being used. There's a dominant URL and there is an alternate URL. And that dominant URL captures 77% of URL, I'm sorry, a featured snippet market share. So check out the study on the Rank Ranger Block. Okay, let's move on and let's get into mobile. How important has speed become? Where to stack up against you know the the big guns of of ranking such as relevancy? So here are Stephen Alamar and Russell Jeffrey of Duda. Cut one. Welcome to yet another In Search SEO podcast interview. Today, I am fortunate to sit with not one but two guests. Joining me today are Stephen Alamar and Russell Jeffrey from Duda, the web design platform for scaling your agency. Welcome, guys. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having us, Morty. Sure. Very cool to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Excited to be here. So you got to share with me and share with the audience, okay, what what is Duda and what can it do for you? So Duda is a web design platform. We specialize in creating tools for agencies, hosting companies, digital publishers, web professionals, all kinds. And the real way that we try to 
make ourselves unique in the market is we're all about trying to get things done at scale, improve your efficiency as an agency. That means everything from the reducing the build time of a website to creating tools that optimize the communication flow between you and your clients and a variety of other really in-depth tools for just trying to optimize your workflow as much as possible and make you the most efficient agency you can be. Sounds great. Definitely check out the link that we will put into the Duda homepage in the blog post that will host this podcast. So this is awesome. Where did the name Duda come from? Russ, do you want to take that? You, you <laughs> got you got to tell. You, you got you got to share this. Oh boy. <laughs> so, so 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 Duda Duda comes from our, our two co-founders, both of whom are are Israeli. They're both huge fans of, of the movie The Big Lebowski. <laughs> so when they when they first started working together, they, they had this idea to build a platform that took existing websites and turned them into mobile friendly websites. They started talking to each other and just kind of going back and forth. Like, hey, dude, like let's do this. Or, hey, dude, we should try and do things this way. And that's how they communicated. And and so they just changed a slight variation of that to make make it Duda, um, and and work based on just the, the the theme there. And to to this day, it's a huge kind of influence in, in our internal culture uh, here at Duda. And so we're we're all big fans of this. Uh, uh, we watch it pretty pretty religiously here. That's yeah, a, all of amazing. our conference rooms are named things like White Russian or <laughs> Autobot or. So, so you guys are not into brevity or anything? No. Right? <laughs> None of that. All right. So what's your favorite line from the movie? We, uh, keep it clean. You're not wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like just your opinion, man. All right. That one I can use. <laughs> My kids, by the way, so I'll tell them, like, they're, if they're making noise at the dinner table, I'm like, this is not Nam. This is a dinner table. There are rules. <laughs> All right, so let's get into this. Today, we're going to be talking about mobile, page speed, UX, all that good stuff. So let's get off a little bit general. What should SEOs be focusing on in 2019? What is important? What's not important? Yeah, I think to, we have two answers to this. Um, I'll take the first one here. This is Russ. One is, is structured data and filling in the knowledge wrap. This is an area that we see Google will continue to expand. These are things like you know zero position search results building in knowledge panels right off the box or right, right off the bat, trying to help Google better understand the content that exists on your website. Um, I, I think this is going to be growing importance and, and more and more webmasters and SEOs and people building websites are going to have to think about this uh, on an ongoing basis. Right. I mean, the knowledge graph is, is off the chart. It's, it's literally off the chart. Exactly. And it's also, it's, it's how they, they fill in for voice search as well, right? Right. This is, this is the exact data that they needed. They needed a structured format. They need to know it's accurate for them to really give solid voice results going forward. And so this knowledge graph is, is, is only going to continue to uh, be important going forward. Yeah, and there's another flip side to what is really important and what you should be paying attention to, particularly in this coming year is beyond structured data and informing Google as to the content that's on the page and helping them figure that out in a better way. Going back a long time, Google has a problem with mobile in particular. And so spite speed and user experience have been getting more and more attention uh, over the last couple of years. And we can definitely expect that to continue throughout the coming year. So I can dive into the knowledge graph forever. I mean, have you ever heard of Cindy Crumb's theory about, if you haven't, you should definitely check this out, entity first indexing. So she has this whole theory about that mobile-first indexing is really about entities. Google's, Google's basically gone about figuring better or figuring out how 
entities all relate to each other across different languages, how different entities relate to each other, mother, father in English, mother, father in Spanish, mother, father in Japanese, whatever it is, and that Google has is basically on steroids with using the knowledge graph to meet to index. It's the in, let me rephrase that. Google has basically gone crazy through its understanding of different entities and indexing not just by mobile first, but indexing according to the entity. This site is X entity and relates to Y entity. Y entity now relates to different site, different domain, which is Z entity. Right. So we can get into this forever. I mean, I just saw recently that YouTube added what's basically like a knowledge graph card. They're testing yeah. it in the right in the explore feature they have there. It's essentially the knowledge graph in, in YouTube. Right, so entity to entity to entity is how Google is basically matching intent. So we can talk about intent and how a knowledge graph meets various intents and how Google is using knowledge graph to discuss intents and meet intents forever. But let's talk about site speed and UX because that's also been a big buzzword. And is the buzz legitimate? Let me let me let me take that again. Okay, what's happened over over time at Google so much so that site speed and UX have the general impression is that they've increased in importance. Yeah, so we've got two sort of answers for this. It all sort of started with the smartphone. When people first started mobile browsing, page bounce rates were like crazy high. And obviously this was a problem for Google because they were returning a bunch of pages people didn't really want to engage with. So Google started taking one bite of the apple at a time. So first was mobile Geddon, uh, to give a definition of what mobile friendliness was instead of standard. Once layouts were better and something like I believe it was Google said 80% of what they were returning on the first page of search results was mobile friendly. They turned to site speed as one of the next big things that they wanted to really go after. And now that's sort of morphed into Lighthouse. And okay. with Lighthouse, we're looking at new sort of user experience metrics that we never had before. And we can continue going down this route. You can imagine that security will be on this list at some point and so on and so forth. Right. Well, security has in a lot of ways, at least not through search, but through Chrome. Yeah, um, that's another way that they've been going after it. Right. Yeah, I think I think you look today. Google says that speed is is not like a, a high priority ranking factor as of today, right? It's, right? it's something that they they recently released an update to this saying that cool. It's it's a little bit more on mobile, a little bit more um, kind of a, of a ranking factor. But if you look at the tooling that they're using, and this is to Stephen's point about Lighthouse, they've really improved the tooling that that exists. Like. The old page speed that existed uh, as of you know, three months ago didn't give you real hardcore metrics of here's when the site is officially loaded, here's when the user can start interacting with it, here's where they get value out of the content that they're seeing. Right. Now if you look at the real lighthouse metrics they're returning, they're returning things like time to first interactive, time to, to first engage. First done full paint. Right, right, exactly. And then on top of that, they do have the, the crux data report, which is real world usage of Chrome. And so Google is getting... Uh, more granular and more accurate, ultimately, with how they're viewing site speed across the web. So, so right, and, and what, what I'm getting at here is, is you know, this is a prediction that that I would make and we would make is that going forward, they're going to use this data to really influence search results even even further. Yeah, this is a soft ranking factor right now. Yeah, um, right. and it's not getting sort of the same amount of attention, obviously, as just you know schema and those kinds of things that help Google know what's on a page still, because content is still king. But experience is at least a dupe. It's it's going to be something going forward that's increasingly important. That's you kind of took the words right out of my mouth over there. I was gonna, I was actually gonna ask you, because I think it was yesterday, the day before, John Mueller said that you guys site speed, you know, it, it's it's important, but really relevancy, that's the main thing. But it's interesting that they've released all these new lighthouse metrics, right? But at the same time, they're still making statements as 
yeah, okay, relevancy is really more important, but site speed is also important. You should, you know, you should check that out, I guess. Which is odd for Google, by the way, because usually when they go in on something, they like to they like to talk it up. Why why do you think that is? Why do you think Google's not really pushing site speed the way that they you would think they might be, considering all of the investment they've made into the metrics? So one theory that I got that I'm working off of is that it's very difficult to optimize websites to get to the speeds that Google wants them to be at. There's a lot of lag in current websites across the web and speeding them up is a big problem, not just for Google in wanting to return better results to people that load faster and get better user experiences, but for the web developers and designers in a lot of ways, this is very it's a very difficult thing for them to tackle. Right. What's interesting though is that if you have if you have sites that are trying to to better their site speed and you have Google telling them to improve their site speed, but at the same time, isn't it a relative? In other words, Google, in fact, has said that the new page speed update is relative, right? There's relative, it's, it's incremental, it's not a zero-sum game. It also depends on the other sites in your niche. Are they fast, are they slow? So if I am a site and I am, I am trying to work on becoming faster, how much do I really have to care? And does that impact how fast the mobile web is overall, or the web is overall? Well, I, absolutely it matters, right? Uh, ha having a fast loading website means you're going to have lower bounce rates. You're going to have people click through and stay on your site longer. Um, you're going to have a, a more valuable and engaged user who's, who's coming to visit. And you, you're right that, you know, it, it, you know, it, it, that essentially if, if you're ranking, you know, all things being equal and you have a slightly faster site, you might show up, you know, one position higher. But that doesn't mean you're providing the best possible experience for your end users, right? Right. You can't compare it to you know other sites in your same vertical. You have to compare it to what the user expects. We know from psychology studies that people lose interest after about two seconds of nothing happening uh, on on the web, right? They're going to click away. They're going to hit back. They're going to shift their focus to something different. So if your site is not performing well and it's not giving the experience that people expect and even just react to. Uh, from a psycho psychological level, you're, you're going to be losing potential customers here. So you can't just say that I need to be better than my competitors. You say, I need to hold myself accountable to, to the standards that, that humans live by. So does Google need to set a bar then, like an, an objective number, so to speak, to say, okay, this is fast, this is slow, this is really fast, and this is where we want you to be? They do. And, and they're, they're trying to do this with Lighthouse, I, I would argue. Okay. If you, if you look at how they, they rank you know, between green, yellow, and red within Lighthouse, they're saying that, cool, within you know, uh, a, anything less than two seconds is going to be a green in terms of time to first interactive, things like that, um, that, that are going forward. And so we obviously don't have you know, a direct impact to, to SERP results on, you know, based on Lighthouse right now, but this is, this is what you know, we would see going forward as, as a key and critical part of your infrastructure and your website build. As, as the future progresses. Yeah, and this is something that just because it's not happening exactly right now, doesn't mean that it's not in the future. And, you know, um, Google Google sort of did kind of the same thing with PageSpeed as it did with MobileGeddon eventually, right? It gave a lot of recommendations on what is mobile friendliness and how to lay out a mobile phone friendly website. They and then one day, to check it. they gave you a tool to check it. And then one day implemented a big change into the algorithm and said, okay, mobile friendliness is now actually a ranking factor. They really hit the pedal from metal. Right. Do you think then that at some point down the line, be it a year, be it two years, be it five years, that speed will be up there with things like page safety, content safety, or things like as important as intent, or as important as relevancy, or is there always going to be a sort of a, a drop off in its significance just inherently? So I would I would argue that page speed is a part of relevancy. 
Google wants to return the most relevant, it wants to return the most relevant pages in search engine results. So if something is great content, it's well-written, it's authoritative, but it's not something that's easy to engage with on a mobile device as more and more people are almost going exclusively to mobile to their, their internet browsing. Mm -hmm. This is something that we can be pretty sure they are going to start including into those more important ranking factors. That'd be interesting because does that rank, not does it rank is a bad word, but does it sit as important with a user as it does, as relevancy does? And intrinsically, is that possible? I'm not saying that you're wrong. I agree with you that it'd be very, very, it should be a more important factor when looking at, at a site. But is it even possible that something like page speed or something like user experience can ever be as intrinsically uh, important as something as uh, the content's relevancy and 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 it um, can't get the word out too late at night. But you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 yeah no. Um, no. Probably not. Uh, content is always going to remain king because you know the things that are put on a page are what somebody's searching for right. and Google likes it as such. So you can't you know come up with a page that basically has zero authoritative content, but it like loads <laughs> it's, it's lightning fast. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, like that's just it's not going to happen but the importance that you need to start assigning to page speed mobile experience user experience uh is just going to increase and as more and more web developers get better at this it's going to be a much more competitive uh environment that we're looking at in right. this regard that's a great point and, and, and also just on top of that right we, we know that speed's valuable for other reasons besides surf results right it, yeah. it's, it's about engaging users it's about selling your, your product and service, it's about delivering a, a quality experience. Right? Wait, wait, there's a reality outside of search? There is. I, I would so, never hint just that. blew yeah, my yeah. mind. Um, we actually, we have some data around this. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. We optimized for PageSpeed a couple of years ago, about a year and a half ago, um, and we took a look at benchmarking our websites before the PageSpeed optimization and after the PageSpeed optimization. Okay. Um, for sites that had a render start time of under one second, we saw a 10.5% conversion rate. Wow, okay. Uh, but that got up to 3.9 sec, uh, seconds. Uh, it dropped to a 7.7 .7 conversion rate. Ouch. Yeah. Right. So that's a, that's a great stat, actually. Was it What particular kind of site was it, out of curiosity, you know? So, yes. Yeah, so, so this was across our entire base of websites. So we're talking about thousands of websites that do to hosts and manages uh, across the board, these are average conversion rates. Right. I mean, I would imagine for an e-commerce site, that number would spike exponentially. Yeah. 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 We didn't parse the data out to see it that way, but uh, it probably would. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 my cart's loading and loading and loading. Goodbye. See you later. Yeah. Let me Which ask you that. It's all about trying to do e-commerce nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, with that data, what should sites do to increase site speed? And what shouldn't they do? Use Duda. Sorry, plug. Use no. Duda. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna take a shot at. I'm gonna take a shot at Wix here. It's like, yeah, if you want to do SEO, just use Wix and their Wiz SEO right. plugin. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, right. don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> no. So, 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 first of all, site speed is is really hard with with the way the web's built and the way the web's architected to build a performant website takes a lot of time and takes a lot of resources. So, so there, there's there, you know there's a lot of quick tips I can provide kind of out of the box of, cool, number one, let's make sure that uh, we, we compress our images that we're using. Number one, reduce the overall size, uh, you know, the, the, the pixel size, and, and two is use compression algorithms to make them smaller. There's things like reducing the total amount of JavaScript that you're sending and, and need, right? 
a lot of web developers, when they start building sites, they include all these additional libraries, all these additional pieces of code that really aren't necessary, or they need it for one function or one thing that needs to be done on the site. Um, and it's really, most of the time, it's overkill. And, and those are actually the two biggest things that really kill site speed, are the size of images uh, and, and the, the JavaScript files that they're sending down uh, to the client. Now, these are really technical things that need to be managed and need to be built into the workflow of how sites are, are being, being optimized. There's a lot of other small things that you can include on top of this. But those are the two that I would say are, are the most important to, to take into consideration when you're building sites. And I think what's probably what, what you should be doing as a development factory or, or someone who's building sites is really set goals from, from the beginning, right? As part of your build process is, is set as part of the setup, you need to say site speed is important from, from day one. And we need to make sure the site always loads in, in three seconds uh, on any device, uh, on any, any connection speed. So I'm going to put you on the spot then. So you're talking about the size of images and, and Java. Do you recommend that sites go AMP? Yeah, AMP's a weird bird. Can I quote you on that? Is that, is that an official statement? Yeah. Nice. No. <laughs> <laughs> Duda says, yeah. AMP is a weird bird. Um, Russ, you want to take yeah, this? Is that absolutely. It? No, no one wants to take up the AMP question. No, I'll, I'll take the AMP question. So, yeah. so look, so, so, so first of all, you, you don't need AMP to build a fast. Right, system. that's the whole thing. Right? AMP, AMP does a great job at, at helping you or setting basically those restrictions and putting them in place that force you to build a fast website. That, that's what AMP is really good at. And with that comes a lot of restrictions, right? Right. Comes restrictions in design, comes restrictions in the components you can use, comes restrictions with how you can build and really engage users uh, with with what you want to accomplish. So AMP, you know, primarily as everyone knows, was built for publishers. They've optimized recently for e-commerce. It's not a full solution, and they don't support every kind of use case and every kind of corner case here, which is which is part of the problem with with going this approach of we're going to release a framework that isn't built into the standard set of you know web development tools. We're going to release this whole brand new thing. So at Duda, you know, we, we've kind of taken the approach that you know AMP, uh, you don't need it for a fast building website and if you were to build AMP, you're talking about having a second set of HTML, a brand new website that you're building and designing, which adds a whole nother set of overhead to managing sites, which this is why we haven't adopted it. It's why we're not fans of mm -hmm. it right now. But, you know, obviously if things change, we'll, we'll, we'll reevaluate, but that's kind of been our stance so far is that it's not necessary to build fast sites. For small businesses, which are a lot of the customers of the agencies that we service, mm -hmm. you know, they're looking for not just like a website that's going to be functional with all of their content that will load, load quickly. They're looking for an overall brand experience to create online that they can use to build their own business out. Um, they're, they want, you know, engaging designs that really communicate who they are because their website is their storefront window. Yeah, that's a great point, actually, especially for a business that um, is a small business that does have that sort of that sort of need to create a, a, an impression. I saw a stat recently; I forgot where it was, but if your site design is not uh, appealing, users don't trust you. Which is an interesting thing. Like, not only do I don't like your site, I think it's annoying. I'm going to bounce. They just don't. They don't actually trust you. It's it's the first impression, right? It's, right, it's right. It's, it's always it's, that first impression. It, 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 exactly. If they can't use it, they. I'm a restaurant. I can't find your menu on your website. Like, I, I'm not going to come and visit you. I, I don't know what the heck I'm going to be able to eat when I come. And if it doesn't entice you, it's no good to you. Right. <laughs> based upon your clients, based on what you see, 
So do you think AMP has sort of hit a wall? Like our data that we track AMP results, we track news results, we track organic AMP, we track the number of the average number of AMPs on page one of the SERP, which by the way, that hasn't moved much in two years. Like the average number of AMP results on the on the page one of the SERP stands around one and a half results. And that's basically been that way since 2016, which is interesting. I mean, the, the percentage of pages that do contain AMP that has gone up, a minimum of one AMP result, but the average number just hasn't gone up. Based upon your clients, based upon what you see out there, because you guys are really into the, the mobile universe, has it sort of hit this wall? Has it lost steam? Has it lost momentum in a lot of ways? Yeah, I, I would say so. And I would say it's for, for a lot of these reasons you outlined, right? It's, it's not part of the standard of web development lifecycle is to build, build AMP pages. Now, I think, you know, going forward, you know, obviously Google has been working with WordPress. They just released this AMP plugin. I think it was late last year. They announced this new project for publishers uh, that's with WordPress that is Google now, News. right? Which is part of the Google News initiative. Right. So they're still trying, but but I, I think absolutely, I think from from the, the client requests that we get, we've seen a drop off in the last year or so of people asking and kind of needing this as, as a way of building sites. We, we think it's kind of hit hit its peak potential pretty quickly, you know, kind of, kind of right out of the box, right? AMP was released in 2015 and you know, you're saying 2016, it really slowed down since then, so. Right. They, haven't, they have not been able to crack the small business world of websites. <laughs> Which, it's the long, that is the long tail of websites, right? That, that is the vast majority of websites right. online today. Yeah. It's true. I mean, it's even, it's even slowed down even in the, uh, the speaking circles in the SEO industry. You don't really see – you don't go to a conference anymore and hear about AMP. Which really tells you a lot because that's usually lagging behind what people actually are, are doing. Point blank, do you think AMP's a ranking factor? No. No? Both that's not. it? That's all you got? No? Okay. I, I'm, I'm with you. Okay. I hear you. Do you think it will be? Do you think they, okay, let me ask you a different question. Do you think Google would like it to be? And do you think they're going to somehow try to make it as such? Or is that, or is that would ship? Would Google like it to be is a very different question. Well, yeah. Um, well, no. I, is, Google, if Google will like it to be, Google will try to do it. At this point, Google's given up on it. It won't be. Yeah, I, I would say this is actually probably an internal conflict at Google between number one, their Chrome team, their search team, and the news team. I mean, obviously, the news team is actually what, what built AMP originally. And so my guess is, is Google is a bit conflicted based on whether we do it in an open source way or kind of the, the quasi-closed source way that they built AMP today, or whether it just becomes part of the W3C and part of the, the web in general going forward. I think this is this is something that Google needs to really solve on, on their side. You know, AMP, AMP has a, has a lot of problems, right? The biggest right. one being in the delivering the URL from the Google URL instead of the actual primary website. That's been a, a minor disaster to understate it. Yeah, yeah, just, just a little bit. Yeah. A yeah. little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Let's jump a little bit because we've talked a lot about site speed, but we're talking mobile um, user experience. UX is, I would say, equal if not surpasses the importance of site speed. Do you think there's a correlation between user experience and intent? Let me explain what I mean by this. So when we looked at the medic update last August, one of the things we noticed was that there were a lot of sites that were these sort of informative sites, a lot of health sites saying that, okay, we're going to help you become healthier. One of the sites that stands out in my mind was a bodybuilding site, right? You come with gigantic muscles. You're going to be huge. You're going to be healthy. You're going to be attractive. Everyone's going to love you. It's going to be great. Sounds something, sounds familiar. Anyway, what happened was is that it wasn't really an information site. The user experience was very, very commerce-like. You had buttons all over the place. You had ads. You had sort of these soft sales going on. And, and even any, in any piece of content, there were multiple call to actions. The user experience was very much commerce, even though the site was very much supposedly not commerce. Do you think there's sort of a relationship between intent and UX? 
And how do you think Google looks at a site via the lens of intent from a UX perspective, or does it not look at UX when it looking when looking at intent altogether? So the Medicare thing is an interesting one because a lot of the sites that were affected were referred to as your money or your life sites right. because of the impact they can have on a user's current or future well-being, be it physical, financial, safety-related, whatever. And as a result, they should avoid trying to convince trying to convince users through marketing and sales content to purchase products that they had no intention of buying. Google seems to have taken the stand that, oh, it was just a happy accident when we made the broad update that got referred to, the medic update, that a lot of these sites got affected. Right. I am not entirely sure that that's true and that they are going to be looking a lot more at, hey, it, it looks like it has authoritative content on it, but then it's got all of these hallmarks of an e-commerce website and it doesn't really look like it's uh, really conforming to the intent of the searcher, that they are going to start really looking at usability in that way as a ranking factor and and uh what's the word i'm looking for eat yeah eat. <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's an eat framework that, that you're trying to get to right it's the yeah. expertise ability and trust that the website is trying to build with with the people who, who visit that on, on a daily basis right and you're not going to build trust with someone if you're trying to sell them some shady product uh that you know may or may not help their life right right i think google would see see that content probably as spam if it's primarily there just to try and sell them on a product and maybe not really make their life better. Do you think Google has gotten a little bit better at, at defining what it, what UX works best for what kind of site? Does it does it is it able to distinguish better um, on mobile what UX works for what kind of site in, in particular? Because the user experience on mobile is obviously much more um, touch and go. So we haven't really seen that yet. We've seen like the more broad. Um, we know what works on mobile, so here's a categoric definition of what we think is mobile best practices. Right, but they have no really pop-ups, going no overlays. Right, yeah. although the interstitial thing didn't really seem to have much of an impact. Right, that's true. But they're, they're still trying to enforce it, though. Right, they're, they're saying it's important. They're they're pushing out content that says you need to not do these type of things for us to continue to rank the content the way you want it to be ranked. Right. So going forward, then. Lay it on me, so to speak. What do you think is important for sites to consider when 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 creating a page, when creating a design, when creating a user experience, on mobile particularly? Yeah. Absolutely, I I think it's 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 user search intent, and it's it's following through and and asking the question of yourself when you're building a site, what problem am I solving? What question am I answering by writing this content, by giving this information to a user, by putting it out there? If somebody's searching for you know the best uh, let's just say like uh, the, the top five workouts to have a solid core, I would want to have content that, that really solves that, that question and gives answers in, in an authoritative and thoughtful way that, that walks them through what it is. You're, you're trying to solve the searcher's query and solve their intent by building these pages. So it's really taking a step back and thinking about the content that you're trying to put out and what problem uh, people are trying to solve by searching for it in the first place. And not do any sort of bait and switch with, right. you know, pulling up a Wikipedia entry and then dropping a bunch of e-commerce stuff into it. Because um, that would go against the trustworthiness parts of uh, eat. Do you guys see any new trends starting to develop in user experience on mobile or it's sort of kind of developed as it is and here we are and this is, this is the future. I remember, I think it was like, a hundred years ago, the scientists all sat around, they got together and said, there's going to be no more major scientific breakthroughs. We've reached the pinnacle. Um, yeah, I know, as stupid as that sounds, that actually happened. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I don't think so. I, I mean, m mobile design is going to continue to evolve. I, I don't think, personally, I don't think that we'll have a, a big 
jump forward in mobile design um, until we get to whatever the next you know device type out there is going to be, whether it's voice, whether it's watches, whether it's browsing in your car, whatever that might be. I don't think we'll have a new kind of like you know design paradigm uh, until we get a new you know interface for for people to build and design for. No, mobile design is going to keep getting pushed forward with stuff like progressive web apps. Right. That's right. I consider it like an evolution, right? It's like a, it's a step forward. It's, yeah. it's like continuing. It's not a huge, you know, rethink of, of how we, we process and design. But we're not going to see something like mobile again and again. Probably. <laughs> the they tried the second one, but it didn't really end up being anything, right? Yeah. Right. That one didn't really do much. That right. was a blip on the screen. I guess that's fortunate. I know we didn't really need to get into this, but I would love to ask you, actually, now that you mentioned it. So you have things like Google Hub, right? So it's sort of a, a mix between Google Home and a tablet or, or a mobile device. Does that change? Do you think that changes UX? Do you think that changes the way users expect to, uh, to interact with an interface? Or is it basically, okay, it's a tablet, okay, you happen to hear the answer? It's, it's a really good question. You know, we haven't seen from Google how we can influence the, these results so far, right? right. All of this is, is really controlled by their internal ecosystem and their internal, you know, cool, we think it's really important to display weather and we think it's really important to display your team's sports results from last night or whatever it might be. You know, there hasn't been a lot of expansion just of like, I'm interested in this topic, give me, you know, information from, from this and how can my website influence the, that as part of the overall web. I think Google is still, you know, a little ways off from including outside sources inside. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it that way. I meant to say how Google shows whatever it shows on the, on the hub, will that influence how site owners, site managers go about design and user experience based upon what Google's doing? Sorry, just to clarify. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, it, it really depends on if, if Google starts using the, the broader data from the web and that's there. And, and today, you know, the, with voice, they do. With voice results, the, the things like schema matters, things like facts about the business of what's the price point, where are they located, what service areas, what category are they in. Th those are things you can influence. And as Google opens that up more, uh, absolutely, it'll be, it'll be more important for, for website owners and web presence managers to, to influence that as much as possible. Cool. Well, that was really informative. That was really cool. That was really fun. So I have, I have to do this to you. I have this little thing that I do to my to my guests. I call it optimize it or disavow. It's basically like start, bench, cut, or it's like one of these games where you have your marry, date, divorce. But I'm going to give you two options instead of three. And i like you to pick one or the other one. It's either going to be a really uh, two really great options, and you have to put one of those great options aside, or two really crappy options, and you're stuck choosing a crappy option. So if you guys are ready, this is the Duda version of Optimize It or Disavow It. Site speed or usability. We talked about site speed, we talked about UX. If you had to go with one or the other one, which would you spend your time and focus on? Assuming you could zero sum, you couldn't do both at all. Site speed or usability? I would have to disavow speed. Really? Even though we just talked about how we, we spent, spent all this time talking, talking about, about speed, you're gonna this is about speed. But, but look, I can't take him anywhere. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's terrible. If, if I built a site, I wish I would have known this. Where I spent all this time talking about speed. Sorry, wasted. Yeah, jeez. But but look, if I built a site that has you know really dark gray text and then a black background, the usability is I, I can't read and understand that text. Right. Right. It's, it's a really crude example, but it's true. If, if I can't understand the content that's on the site when I visit it, what the hell am I doing there? Right. Yeah, that loads instantly. That does nobody any good. Uh, so, so, so it's critical that you can display and give users the content and, and 
things that they're looking for when they search in the first place. That's awesome. I was basically trying to give you like, here's a really big cliche. Are you going to go for that bait or are you not? I'm glad you didn't take take the bait. Probably can, can I, I, I probably should have thought that through a little bit better because why would I think that you would? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's not always so easy to come up with this stuff. Anyway, I really enjoyed our time together. Thank you so much for coming on. I do appreciate it. Again, check out Duda.com and .co. No, .co. I, apologies. Check out Duda.co. And don't just just click on the anchor text that we put in the blog post. It'll just be easier for you. Yeah, Thanks so much, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was uh, it was great and really enjoyed chatting with you. Yeah, thanks, Marty. It was a good conversation. You got it. And we are back to your regularly scheduled programming here, the Insert SEO podcast. I hate slow sites. Yeah, I know. I'm gonna sound heretical, okay? And everyone hates slow sites, but unless the site is super slow, I don't really care. I, I, what am I gonna do? Okay, I'm gonna go find another site. No, I'm just going to wait. That would take even longer. I'll just, I'll just wait a little. I'll wait another second for it to load. You know, let's talk the poll question here then. But of course, what is more important, mobile UX or mobile page speed? Okay, so exactly. Considering my last point that unless a site is super slow, I'm not going to spend the extra time to start my search all over again. If I find a new site, go back to the surf and skim through the sites again and perhaps do another search, okay? And this is especially where, considering, by the way, that it, it, it might not be the page that's slow. It could be that your 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 data networker is slow, right? Okay, so I, considering that, how important is speed to a site that's not super slow? I'm not talking about a case where it's just dragging on and dragging on and dragging on. It's a little bit slow. How important is site speed in that instance? Are you really going to go... Uh, uh, how likely is a user to go back, start a new search, find a new site, or rather would they just wait? So how important, considering that, is site speed? You can find the poll on the blog post that harbors this very podcast on the Rank Ranger blog. You can find it on the Rank Ranger Twitter account. It'll be on my Twitter account. It'll be on the Rank Ranger LinkedIn profile. It'll be on my LinkedIn profile. It'll be all over the place. By the way, before we hit the news, let's go over last week's poll question where we asked, is local the most natural way for Google to monetize voice search? And y'all said yes by a slim margin. 52% of you said that local is the most likely way that voice search will become monetized because it makes the most seamless sense. Meaning a user types in something, they look for something local, and Google has some sort of partnership program like they have like reserve with Google where they are able to earn revenue. Okay, that aside, it's that time again. Time for? Time for the news. Okay, Kim, what do you have for us today with the news? There are rumors that Google might be on its way to putting data from the Discover feed into Search Console. So that would be great. Okay, but putting Discover on the mobile homepage was sure to have changed user behavior because how likely are you to continue with your intended reason for visiting the, the Google homepage or Google altogether when you see some really interesting content show up and you go down that rabbit hole to begin with. So it would be great to see how and if, more how than if, that has impacted sites. Google has confirmed that they can indeed identify YMYL sites algorithmically. In a new Google white paper, the search engine said the algorithm weighs the applicable ranking factors differently for YMYL sites. Part of that process seems to be a more substantial reliance on a site's link profile. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. so oh snap! It's Y-M-Y-L-N-E-A-T, eat again. I know some of the people are cringing that this topic has been brought up again. I am not one of them. Sorry. I do think, by the way, the analysis being offered, of course, by Google here 
makes good sense. And of course, it's very true. But I do think as time goes on, I bet we'll start getting more and more varying information about how diversely Google looks at um, or approaches YMYL sites. Uh, I think John Mueller already hinted at that in a, in a Hangout session saying, hey, it's not just about links. By the way, I have a video I, would, I put about this um, a couple of days ago on LinkedIn, so you can check that out. What's next? Google is giving advertisers more mobile landing page speed insights as less clicks will be required for a page to get a score. Oh, look at that. More mobile page speed insights on the very episode where we talk about mobile page speed. And lastly, Google is testing bringing its large and highly visual ads to more business categories. The ads are a carousel of very large images that when clicked on bring you to a Google page dedicated to the product advertiser. Yeah, so you should have a look at this because there are, I mean, if you haven't seen them already, I think they originally showed just for um, automotive ads, I believe. They're highly visual. What happens is you click on one and you go to basically a Google property page and you get all, the whole set of images, a whole set of descriptions, a whole set of titles related to that, that advertiser, to that product. I, I would imagine these are um, highly effective ads and we'll see if they become um, these new verticals, these new categories officially become integrated into the ad type. That'll be fun to watch out for. Speaking of fun, by the way, it is Kim's favorite time of the podcast where I had to ask an absurdly ridiculous, perhaps silly, bizarre, out there. Any other synonyms I have to throw out there? Crazy. Crazy. Crazy question because it's now it is time for our fun SEO send-off question. So this week, I thought back to my childhood. So when I used to go shopping with my mom in the grocery store, it was, it was like an hour-long process to check out because she had like a million coupons. <laughs> it was always like so embarrassing to sit there. We were very thrifty growing up. We didn't have a lot of money, so we used a lot of coupons. An insight into my childhood trauma. Okay, so going to the store took an hour so we, we could hand over all the coupons. We could save five cents on a can of beans, whatever it was. Anyway, which got me thinking, is Google a coupon cutter? Does it use coupons when going to the grocery store? Kim? So I don't think Google did it the same way as your mother used to. Probably a good um, thing. So not with a real set of scissors <laughs> on paper, but for sure on top of the game with all the deals that are out there. I would hope they're on top of all the deals that are out there because they're supposed to be telling you about all the deals that are yes. out there. <laughs> and maybe keeping for themselves the best ones. Ooh. That's a little bit of a conspiracy theory right there, Kim. Hmm? Maybe uh, I'll take it back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do not edit that out. Okay. I think for sure they are, no doubt. Google is all about the finer details. And if it can save 10 cents on a can of cherry pie filling, then it will do as such. I don't know why I think that. I just think that. Yes. This has been the most absurd question I think I've ever asked. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> and that will do it for us. Thank you for listening to the In Search SEO podcast. We hope you tune in again next week. Don't forget it's In Search because we're all in search of something. Thank you and bye. Bye.